Hey guys, Nurse Greg here with the Nursing Your Career podcast. Today we're going to talk about something that can be very scary to a new grad and even an experienced nurse, and we're going to go over a hypothetical case study and help you guys with some tips and tricks about what to do about certain things at the bedside. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about heart failure, and I mean decompensated heart failure with pulmonary edema or even worse, flash pulmonary edema which is a buildup of fluid in the lungs because the heart can no longer pump effectively. The thing to remember about heart failure is that lots of people live with it as a chronic condition. Lots of people manage it very well. Lots of people live with their day-to-day lives um, under medications uh, and are able to function normally. But once in a while, due to a variety of reasons, whether it's a, a health scare a infection, non-med compliance, the heart failure can decompensate. So today we're going to go over a scenario at the bedside, an inpatient scenario. So we'll say we have a 60-year-old man, and he has a history of congestive heart failure, CHF, high blood pressure, hypertension, and an MI times two, or a heart attack times two in the past. Uh, normally, he manages his heart failure quite well with medications at home. Uh, However, he was recently admitted for a pneumonia with a fever. So right off the bat, we're thinking somebody who has chronic heart failure is now in a hypermetabolic state because of an infection that's brewing and a fever, which requires more cardiac output, more cardiac demand um, that cannot necessarily be met by a heart that is compromised already. So we'll say that you take your report, you go to the bedside, and this poor man is complaining of shortness of breath. You do your visual assessment. You see that he is diaphoretic, very, very anxious, uh, tachypnic, and looks to be uh, having air hunger. Um, he said he feels very short of breath and very scared. You immediately take a set of vital signs, and you get heart rate of 160, sinus tachycardia, BP 210 over 106, uh, an O2 sat at 84%, two liters nasal cannula, and a respiratory rate of 38. Now, it's important to remember at this point with a clinical change in the patient's status, first thing you're going to do is you're going to get help. You're going to call your rapid response. You're going to activate your rapid response teams. Uh, you're going to get a doctor there. You're going to get a provider there, and you're going to get some support because you have a lot of things to do at this point. Uh, and even the most experienced nurse can't do this by themselves. Um, so you're going to need a good support team. So page out your rapid responses appropriately, get some help to the bedside. Next, what's going to happen is you have to buy some time to bring some oxygen to your patient while you're setting up your other interventions. So immediately as you're calling your rapid response, you're going to put your patient on high flow O2, definitely a non-rebreather, max it out 15 liters, and hopefully that's going to bump up that sat to buy you some time where your team can get assembled and you can start putting the pieces together. Now, at this point when your team arrives, the important thing to remember, especially as a new person, is that treating an acute heart failure like this with pulmonary edema, this is going to be a three-pronged attack. And what I mean by three-pronged attack is we're going to do three different treatment modalities to get a handle on this. Number one, we're going to have to do something and give something to diurese this fluid. We have to get this fluid out of the body, okay? So we're going to be giving our diuretics appropriately, um, and so that medication is going to 
get absorbed and hopefully be at peak effect by the time we have our other interventions in place so it all works as a triad essentially uh, to get this patient better again. The second thing that has to happen, you have to remember that with fluid in the lungs, you're going to need respiratory support to pressurize that fluid out. That fluid needs to move out of the pulmonary space back into the intravascular space. If it doesn't move into the intravascular space, Lasix or other diuretics are not going to be effective um, because the fluid needs to get to the bloodstream to hit the kidneys to be diuresed out. Again, one of the ways that we do this is we rely on our lovely respiratory therapists uh, to get us positive pressure ventilation, so BiPAP or CPAP. That will increase oxygenation as well as up the pressure of the air moving into the body to displace that fluid out of the lungs and put it back into the intravascular compartment. The second thing we have to do is we have to get that intravascular compartment to a place where it can accept that fluid and stop putting strain on the heart. Remember we said earlier, this patient's blood pressure is 210 over 106. It is like that because the patient obviously has excess fluid volume from the heart failure, but also as the heart needs to beat faster and cardiac demand increases, by the way, the cardiac demand which cannot be met by the compromised heart, your body starts to realize this and it starts to shunt blood to its vital organs. It clamps down the peripheral vascular system. This is the body trying to save itself. It says, I need blood to the brain, I need blood to the heart, I need blood to the liver, to the lungs. We have to take care of the important stuff here. But by doing that and clamping down its peripheral vascular system, it also puts more pressure for that already compromised heart to beat against. So the heart failure is only going to be further exacerbated by this peripheral vascular resistance. So we need to get a handle on that as well. This is where your nitros come in. Um, sublingual nitro, intradermal nitro, nitro paste, uh, nitro drips are very effective. So you're going to be expecting to not only get your positive pressure ventilators ready, ventilations ready, uh, you're also going to expect to be pushing a medication like nitro, and that will relax the intravascular compartment. It will decrease the peripheral vascular resistance that's pushing against that heart that's trying desperately to beat for us and give the heart an easier time and a better chance to pump that fluid out of the lungs. So the triad is this, positive pressure ventilation, intravascular compartment relaxation with nitros, and then once we have that fluid pressurized and pumped out of the lungs with help from the BiPAP and the CPAP, and we've relaxed the intravascular space with nitros, and uh, sometimes we give morphine for this to ease air hunger to relax our patient a bit um, so that they're not fighting us every step of the way and causing more metabolic demand for reserves they already do not have. And last but not least, once all that has happened and the fluid is back into the intravascular space, then the diuretics can do its job getting that fluid to the kidneys, and the kidneys can open up the floodgates to get that fluid off. What happens sometimes is that people, when they get nervous or they get scared, they tend to only chase one of those numbers. It's very, very, very easy to get a tunnel vision and get locked in on one number specifically. And I remind you, if you're new, even if you're experienced, you have to consider the whole clinical picture going on. And you have to take into account that some of the stress that's being caused in the situation is the body trying to save itself. 
And that's where we get the other two modalities that we talked about that are that are sometimes forgotten. Um, people jump immediately to diuretics and then stay at diuretics, um, but they forget about positive pressure ventilation and um, drugs to relax the intravascular compartment and decrease peripheral vascular resistance. In the heat of the moment, guys, it's very scary. It's terrifying for a new person. It's equally as terrifying for an experienced person, I, sh- I assure you. So remember your basics. Get help. Page out the rapid response. Know your patient's history. Know your patient's I's and O's. And with this knowledge, you can expect what's going to be ordered for you so you can start to make a plan and put it together. And this is going to have your patient have a better outcome. Um, follow us for more tips and tricks. Uh, we'll be reviewing other treatment modalities for other pathologies at the bedside, outpatient, inpatient. Um, be sure to follow us on our TikTok page, our Instagram page, our YouTube page, and check out the long content podcast that we have uh, on Spotify and Apple Music. Thanks, guys.